Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hello i'm scott Soshnick. and i'm evan novi williams and this is the hollywood ending sports business podcast the sportacast Now, does that mean we had a Hollywood ending, we have a Hollywood ending, or just that we were out in Hollywood and now it's over? (laughs) I think maybe all of the above. I I think more for the Rams, it was a Hollywood ending to the season, and maybe for the NFL as well, Scott. But we can get into kind of what this offseason is shaping up to look like, because there's a whole lot of NFL stories coming after the football that I'm sure people around the league do, do not want people to linger on. Yeah, Evan, you know, I only have one kid, so it's easy when somebody asks me, which is my favorite, right? But you, you've heard the scenario where people say, don't make me choose between my kids. I love them all equally. Well, you and I, you don't have children, so you and I feel that way about our podcasts, sure. right? However, we will say, if you have not listened to last week's episode leading into the Super Bowl with Kevin Demoff, the Rams CEO, we suggest you go back and listen because there, there was something a little different. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's our familiarity with Kevin or the way he was or... But you and I, when we hung up, both sensed like, wow, that was really good. We enjoyed that. The different topics, the bouncing around. And then we both received sort of similar feedback more than the usual. Like, I really enjoyed that talk with Kevin Demoff. So maybe go back and listen to it. And our congratulations, by the way. I mean, uh, Kevin said if he lost again after coming on our podcast, he wouldn't do it next year. So he wins, we win, because he'll come back next year if the Rams make it. Congratulations to our friends with the Rams, especially Kevin and Joanna Hunter, who we work with uh, quite quite a bit. And by the way, when I say we work, one of our events we did out at the Super Bowl was a power breakfast where we bring together sort of the heavyweights of the industry. Um, I mean, Anthony Noto, the CEO of SoFi, you know, the name of the stadium was there. Todd Bowley owner of the Dodgers, part of the Lakers, you know, we had sort of a who's who and walking around that room and talking sports business at the Super Bowl. uh, I mean, I I can't even name how many people I I had discussions with about football and everything. What was the highlight of the breakfast for you? Yeah, I think it's it's always good to to kind of be able to pick the brains of, of the people that are really the power brokers in our industry. Everybody that I spoke with had questions about the Broncos. I imagine it was <laughs> kind of the same for you. I don't want to jump the gun on some of the topics here, but it really does feel as though the Broncos sale now in its very, very early stages has everybody asking questions from bankers wondering who they should be talking to from rich people that that might be interested in a small stake of whoever is going to be the eventual group winner. There's so much going on behind the scenes right now. People in other leagues that are just curious about 
valuations right now, a, a, a hefty valuation on the Broncos, I think is something that would help owners in, in pretty much any other major U.S. league. There's so much happening right now, kind of derivatives of what happens in Denver, that I think everybody in the industry is, is paying really close attention to it. Yeah, you and I chuckle a little bit because we have been deciding, like, as we hear names, do we want to publish them? When is it real? Uh, you and I have, have come to the conclusion when somebody files the paperwork with the NFL and submits their sort of their net worth documents, then it's real. Like, we've all heard Josh Harris. We've all heard Jose Feliciano. Uh, but then when Byron Allen came out, you, you know, and it's like, oh, the, the narrative was he could be the NFL's first black owner. Um, and there's Robert Smith as well. But like the one that had me scratching my head was Byron Allen because again I don't have the inside knowledge and intimacy of his his finances. However, you know a quick Google Byron Allen net worth showed like four hundred million dollars. That's great. However, if you know how the NFL works, if this team the Broncos goes for four billion, you have to put down as a general partner about one point two billion of it. That doesn't seem to work. For Byron Allen, now, could he be a limited partner in an investment group, much like a Peyton Manning would be? That seems to make sense. So the NFL, and we'll talk about Roger Goodell's press conference, and because you asked him a very specific question that we're all interested in. But one of the topics that came up, of course, was uh, minority ownership, uh, minority in coaching. And he said he did speak to Byron Allen about uh, joining uh, or bidding for the Broncos. My guess would be that the NFL is pushing heavily to have uh, people of color as part of the ownership group. Yeah, that's right. And as a banker told me a couple of weeks ago, we're going to hear 25 names in the next month or two. Two of them are going to be real. <laughs> that there's so much kind of smoke around this deal. A lot of people considering, looking at, want to see the books, aren't serious, don't have enough money, X and Y reasons. There's going to be so many big, rich people tied to this Broncos sale in the media. Uh, only a very select few of them are going to be actually interested. Uh, and that, I think, is a challenge for us, Scott, as, as people who report on these things, to kind of figure out what raises to the level of, I want to publish this person's name, yes. as opposed to, okay, we're going to wait until I, I have a sense that this is a real thing before publishing this person's Yeah, in my 30 years, oh, that hurts to say, but in my 30 years of covering sports business, I don't believe in all the team transactions that I've covered, I don't believe the person who put his or her name out there as I am a bidder for this team and I want this team has ever yeah. come away with the team. It just sure. has never worked out that way. So what's interesting, the intrigue here that's going on is, like you said, the people in the industry, the bankers who obviously... The, uh, the Broncos have hired Allen and Company and Steve Greenberg. That's where you want to be, sell side, because you know you're going to get paid when there's a transaction. If you're buy side, yeah, you get some fees as part of your due diligence, but really you only get paid if your client buys the team. That's called a success fee. So it, it's, it's almost like a horse race. All the other bankers out there are trying to figure out what's real, who's real, Who's got the money? Are they serious about making a bid? So it's like a little game of musical chairs, right? You, you, it, the music's going, but if it stops, you know who who do you want in your chair to to make a bid? And and one step deeper than that, do you want to kind of hook your wagon to uh, someone who might get the might be a a, a controlling stake owner? who might have a, let's say, a 20% chance of being the controlling stake owner, or do you want to hook your wagon to someone who might just want to join a group as a minority investor who might have a bigger 
a likelihood of getting a smaller piece of the team in some ways. There, there's a lot of different kind of calculations going on about, you know, who you want to pair up with. Is it better to pair up with someone who might put $3 billion into this team or someone who might put $200 million into this team? Uh, all those calculations are happening right now. Yeah, let me tell you, my experience uh, covering things like this is like, look at the Mets, right? There, there are some synergies there. You want somebody who can just cut the check. You, if somebody's out there trying to find capital to join the bid group, that makes things more difficult. You want the person who has the ability to cut the check and then after the transaction is done, can then what's called syndicate, can bring in limited partners, can handpick who they want as part of their ownership group. To do it ahead of time will complicate matters. Uh, and let's remember, Eben, that this is an estate sale. And as you well know, there are, there are certain nuance between an estate sale and just a normal sale where an owner is letting go of an asset. Why don't you tell everybody what the big difference is? Yeah, essentially the the estate has a fiduciary duty to the inheritance to maximize the profit of the of the investment. So it, it, in a sale in which Pat Bolin is just deciding who he wants to sell this Broncos team to, he can sell it to someone that maybe doesn't have the biggest highest offer someone he'd like, someone that, that he thinks is a better steward of the team than, than someone else. It becomes a little bit harder when uh, instead of, of a single person selling it, it's Pat Bowen's estate who is selling it, which again has, has some kind of fiduciary responsibility to uh, the, the benefactors of, of Pat's estate. So no, there's no question that, that this makes things slightly more complicated. Scott, we saw this with the Clippers. When, when the Clippers were sold in the wake of the Donald Sterling situation, it was actually Donald Sterling's estate that ended up being the being the one who was offloading the team. Uh, I believe when the uh, when when the um, when the Red Sox were sold about a decade ago to John Henry, there was a question there about uh, uh, about you know highest offer versus best offer and and who the, the baseball wanted to be the eventual owner there, and, and there ended up being kind of some some trading of assets of uh, of team assets to, to to make that happen. But but there's no question that there is a, a difference here when it is a rich person selling a team versus when it is an estate selling. My my guess is, and I, and I don't have this down cold, but my guess will be if history is any guide that the NFL will look to, much like the NBA did in the Clippers deal, will look to pre-approve bidders. So that way you don't have to get hung up on the back end that still requires. If you're in the process at the end, you have already been approved by the, by the league and the owners. Because if you come out high, congratulations, the team belongs to you. And where I think this maybe gets most interesting is that the NFL has made it clear in the past that they prefer smaller ownership groups. They would rather have one single person be on the hook for this. Someone put down $4 billion of their own money to own the Broncos than have a someone put down half of that and then have a whole group of people that we see in other sports often, these really deep cap tables on teams. The NFL would definitely prefer to have the one person. In a scenario in which a single person is selling this team, the NFL can choose an offer from a $4.2 billion offer from a single person over a potentially a $4.3 billion offer from a group of 20 people because it prefers kind of the financial stability of that one person. Again, it becomes a lot harder when the when it's a trust that's looking at two different offers, one of which is $100 million higher than the other, but, but, but the, that second one, the higher one, might be less desirable for the league. Let's so, play we'll a game. Think. Let's play a game. I'll put you on the spot, Evan. You are the would-be controlling owner making a big cake. You've got the awesome. cash. Right, Beautiful. but you're looking to bolster your group and make it the most attractive. And as we said, obviously, the highest dollar amount is going to go a long, long, long way. You know, but those out there 
who are possibly there to lend gravitas to your group, much like Magic Johnson did to the Guggenheim big group for the Dodgers. You've got John Elway. You've mm-hmm. got Peyton Manning. You've got Byron Allen. Who are you adding first to your bid group of those three? Oh, by the way, Tom Brady, maybe? Who are you <laughs> adding first in your bid group to say, look who's on my side? I mean, I think it, it, it's either Byron Allen or it's Peyton Manning. I mean, you, you, if there's, if you have the ability wow, John to John Elway add, sinks. Wow, okay. I think if you have the ability to add people, I think that definitely behooves you to have a diverse group of minority investors. People of color, absolutely. No. Roger Goodell has made it clear that he wants that as part of this bid group. Peyton Manning also brings the thing that Magic brought, which is a lot of charisma, a lot of, you know, player impact, a, a Hall of Fame career, someone that a lot of people look up to, someone who can open doors for for even the richest people in a way that, that they might not be able to open themselves. I, I think that, yes, if you could have both of them, I think that's great. Um, but we saw, and I think Magic is a perfect example, how valuable it can be if you're pairing up with a legend that used to play for the team or, or a legend who is really impactful in the area, maybe someone who lives locally, someone who has a big kind of media presence and is charismatic. I think that's kind of invaluable in some ways. For to you. show you how valuable it was, normally it's the person with the money who does the interviewing, right? You go to that person and says, I would like to be part of your group. With Magic coming out of uh, you know the, the situation with the Dodgers and the Frank McCord and the fans sort of weren't really uh, enamored with the franchise. He was really important because L.A. loves magic. So it was magic who got to sit behind the desk and interview the prospective bidders and say, why should I pick you? (laughs) You know, magic wasn't bringing the cash, but he was bringing the cachet. He was bringing the smile. He was bringing the gravitas, the affinity of the fans of L.A. to a group, which at the time had great equity value. And how much mileage did the the Nets owners get out of Jay Z, right? Who right. owns such a small percent of the of the team? He, he's since sold it, but just just the storyline of Jay Z, who you know claims he had a stash spot right across the street from where the Barclays Center eventually popped up. He's someone who represents Brooklyn so much in in his music and his art that that was so I, I would argue was extremely valuable to just getting kind of positive press and narrative out there for them. It is possible that our listeners might not know why his stage name is Jay-Z. Like, it, it is possible. Like, it was the trains he took into Manhattan, the J and the Z. From Marcy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So perhaps, you know, yes. But anyway, I thought I'd do that. All right, Eben, you also uh, were sitting next to me for Roger Goodell's press conference. You were called upon to ask a question, and it's one we talk about uh, all the time here in the office. Uh, why don't you tell everybody what you asked and what the commissioner told you? Yeah, so Roger Goodell a number of years ago said publicly that that he wanted the NFL to reach $25 billion in annual revenue by 2027. I think at the time, let's say it was about five years ago, league revenue was probably in the $12 billion a year range. Um, and every year we get closer and closer to that 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 target number and also closer and closer to that target date. Uh, and, and this last year was was a pretty interesting one. Obviously, the, the league signed $115 billion of TV deals over the next 11 years. Um, there's a team on the market. There, there's a number of things happening. Sports Media betting, assets on the market. Media assets on the market. Sports betting, partnerships uh, like crazy. There was a lot that happened in the last 12 months. So I asked Roger, where are you in that goal? Are you on pace? Are you ahead of pace? COVID-19 potentially set things back. Just give us an update on where that was. 
I've asked this question to him a few times, Scott, and I'm, it's always revealing to think about, to hear how he answers it because he never wants to answer the actual question. He never makes but, it about the money. Exactly. But he does kind of tip his hand at how the NFL is thinking about money, yes. right? When I asked this question last year, his answer was all about how much scoring was up in the NFL. How much how the game is so compelling now because we, we, there were more touchdowns scored. There was more offensive points put up uh, last year than any year in NFL history. So you get a sense right there that, that the league kind of directly think about thinks about points being scored and offense as a direct tie into revenue. What he said this year was talked about the international growth of the game, how many mil- hundreds of millions of fans the NFL has around the world, and that if they can continue to grow that, particularly in new places, and this comes on the heels of their international city uh, d- distribution just happening, uh, announcement of a game in uh, regular season games coming to Germany, etc. Uh, he said that as long as they keep growing that, that multi-hundred million dollar number of fans globally, that the money will follow. Yes, and you and I also partook, or at least we were in the audience for a talk between Genius Sports and Second Spectrum, you're getting the sense, and and Roger's answer to you was all about, it wasn't growing the pie. It was growing the eyeballs, growing the audience, which you and I know in a world of data means growing the revenue. But he's focused on growing the game in terms of its reach, because I don't know. Are we saturated in the U.S.? I don't know. Probably but, pretty close. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you know, they've done a lot in the U.S. There, there are untapped markets around the world. Like David Stern always said, basketball without borders. Now we're going to be looking at that same thing. How do you capture the, the eyeballs around the world? And in the discussions we heard with the folks on the tech side, and you're hearing this all over sport, whether it's sports betting or just player data or consumer data, the more you know the higher the engagement, the more you know about your customers makes each one of those eyeballs more valuable. You can penetrate deeper knowing your customer. That's what Roger was getting at. If you have more people watching and at the same time, the value of each one of those people is going up, that will then translate into revenue for the NFL. And by the way, I still love the fact that 32 Equity, sort of the league's private equity arm, is also still out there. You know, the NFL has is incredibly valuable and if somebody wants to partner with the in the NFL, perhaps the league just takes equity in that company. So there's a real chance as NFL as investor to hit it big as well with tech or whatever whatever they're investing in uh, as the value in those entities escalates as well. So if you separate these two things into the NFL obviously is able to to extract a lot more money in its subsequent deals from its current partners. We saw that in, in the media, $115 billion from essentially all of the same groups. It was Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN, and Amazon. Uh, so you separate that from the other thing that, that you're talking about and that Roger is talking about, which is adding new eyeballs. I would argue that in that scenario... The NFL is essentially paying, playing a, a perpetual metaphorical road game now, right? They're in the U.S., dominant, great, largely saturated. Everywhere except the U.S., the NFL is pushing a sport that is not popular. Yeah. Almost nobody plays. It's very different than when Adam Silver 
goes to China, for example, right? And, and is pushing basketball, a sport that is extremely popular there where tons of people play it. Uh, the NFL, I think, is, is kind of constantly now in this challenging setup of trying to sell uh, a, a sports product that essentially nobody can relate to in other countries because so few, if any, people are playing. Yeah, but the question is, how do they relate to it? And if I may, that's going to bring me back to my focus group of one and then the Super Bowl commercials and all that. Because as we've said, my focus group of one doesn't ever sit and watch the NFL, Mm -hmm. but he sure does play Madden and he sure did like to play Fortnite. And then there were NFL skins in Fortnite. And I know my focus group and all his pals, they all wanted to buy their favorite team skin. And of course, the NFL gets a, a piece of that. So do you have to have those eyeballs watching the broadcast of your game? It's all ancillary revenue on top of that core U.S. media and the eyeballs that are watching the core game. How do they get kids to watch their game? Yes, because you're going to have to replenish. And you're seeing things like the Nickelodeon broadcast roping Mm -hmm. people in as the streaming gets better and as sports betting and as second screen and as the Manning cast. There is no more broadcasting. It's going to be narrow casting. What do kids want to see? What do the younger set want to see? What does somebody in Germany want to see? What does somebody in London want to see? You're going to tailor make broadcasts, so to speak, for the individual consumer. That can be on a video game. It could be on the phone. It can be on a Twitch stream. I don't know. But if you're the NFL, you're just trying to figure out how do we get eyeballs to engage with our product? And it may have nothing to do with one o'clock or four o'clock or eight o'clock on Sunday. It could have everything to do with with, uh, sports betting. It could have everything to do with video games and they still reap revenue that way. So that gets us into the eyeballs of the Super Bowl commercials because I don't often do this when I'm watching, but I was like, I got to tweet this because when the Coinbase commercial came on and the QR code is bouncing around the screen, you know, my, my, my son and his three pals jumped off, ran to the screen, and they all wanted to capture what it was. And since the site crashed, I think it's pretty obvious that lots of people did the same thing. Yeah, I jumped up too. My partner was in our hammock and she did not want to get up, but I did uh, I did jump up. And, wait, wait, in a hammock? And, I'm surprised you didn't like wind up face, you know, flipping right out <laughs> and on your face. Yeah, we have a hammock that we can uh, we can watch watch TV from in our living room. Um, yeah, the I think it was a smart ad. And I think it, again, it it was probably lost on 80% of the people watching the Super Bowl. And those 80% are probably an 80% of people that Coinbase understands is never going to want to invest in crypto through their platform. And that's fine. Uh, it seemed like a smart way to essentially automatically self-select out of the, 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 the type of people likely to grab their phone real quick, run to the TV and scan that are also probably more likely the type of people to jump at the, at, at the opportunity to easily, quickly, uh, seamlessly invest in crypto. So yeah, I think that was a smart way of getting buzz and again, targeting directly the type of people you're hoping to. All right. And Jacob Feldman tweeted, thanks, you know, right before we were about to record that Coinbase was up 2%, you know, put oh, uh, added a billion dollars on market cap. So let me do the math. $14 million spend <laughs> for that commercial billion dollar boost to market cap, 1 billion greater than 14 million. Good idea. Exactly. Exactly. I was struck, by the way, well, before we move on from from uh, from the commercials, how much of, and this is true of so much of entertainment right now, how much of it is just a nostalgia play? And maybe it is because I'm kind of reaching the age where 
I am now the target demographic for a lot of a lot of advertisers. But Geritol, buddy, Geritol. The Sopranos ad, the the Scrubs reunion, the Austin Powers reunion. So many of those things are essentially just looks at what was popular in the late nineties and early two thousands, and just getting those actors or those characters together again in some kind of form of reboot. And again, this is true of all movies and TV shows. Feel like they're derivatives, sequels, prequels, etc. Of ones that have already been popular, uh, but it did seem more so than usual, and maybe just because I'm in that age demographic. But it felt as though the ads were specifically just trying to harken back to things that were comfortable to me and my generation. Yeah, well, the two that got my attention, and we we've discussed Larry David for F- FTX because yep. obviously you know curmud- curmudgeon, and he sort of doubts everything. And so if Larry can be like, hey, what's this? What's going on? Just seeing Larry David made me interested right away, and. I think that's sort of a a nod to the core consumer of the, who the NFL knows is its audience, right? That may be that may be for me and saying, wait, what's going on? What do I need to know about this crypto? Uh, and DraftKings, which you said, and I, I did not realize this, but DraftKings had like dropped money in a, in a certain number of accounts, so they wanted people to right away open their account and, and check and see if I was one of the lucky ones. Really smart, and it's. A, I think that the, you may see more of these ads in the future. Just something that that spurs anyone who's watching who has a DraftKings account. So anyone who is a consumer of yours already to open the account in the middle of a game. I'm sure there are people that opened that account looking for the million dollars, didn't see it, and probably ended up making a bet that they maybe wouldn't have bet otherwise. So I, I think that was a very uh, a very savvy. Ad. Scott, did you? What was the reaction? Focus group of one on this on the uh, halftime show. Uh, didn't really care. Uh, my wife was loving Dre and Snoop, and of mm-hmm. course Miss Mary. Um, but my 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 focus group of one and 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 the pals. Not until Kendrick Lamar came on did they show any interest. And then when he was done, they left the room. Interesting. Yeah. So, so this is, as you know, the last potentially the last year. Free agency is the halftime show is up for free agency. Title sponsor Jacob Feldman wrote something for us uh, last week about this. I was shocked by how low the potential number is here. We don't know exactly how much Pepsi is paying, but people think that a, a title sponsorship to the, Super Bowl in the way that the Super Bowl halftime show in the way that Pepsi used to do it is probably worth, you know, around 20 to 40 million dollars. That seems so incredibly low to me relative to the amount of press and hype that Pepsi gets to put out because yeah, 30 is, seconds is, is 7 million extrapolate the number, right? Exactly. Yeah, and 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 in 5 years 30 seconds might be 10 million, right? So you, so you may be talking about th- three 30 second ads or getting all of the value of being the Pepsi halftime show, all the hype from the artists themselves, all the hype in the run up to it, all the hype in the event itself, all like kind of the replay action of it as well. It does feel like a little bit of imbalance that, that at some point relatively soon, we could have $10 million 30 second ads and a company could pay, let's put it right in the middle, $30 million a year to, to be the title sponsor, the presenter of what is one of the biggest live musical events of, of the year. Let's put it bluntly. And of course, the artists don't get paid, but you can be sure that sales of all their albums or anything new they might do is going through the roof. One non-football item we wanted to talk about, uh, our our friends over at Arcto Sports Partners, investing in Elevate, of course, a joint venture with Harris Bitzer Sports and Entertainment um, and the 49ers and Oakview Group. Um, a non-team investment, like we've seen Arctos do plenty of things. It's private equity involved in sports now, usually taking stakes in teams, non-controlling passive stakes in teams. But this isn't a team. This is sort of the you know a, a firm that advises a firm that is on in sports, but not 
directly in team ownership. Yeah, I think two things here. One, there's obvious synergies here between the the, the, the things that, that Elevate does in terms of uh, consulting, in terms of hospitality, in terms of naming rights deals, all the things that Elevate does, there's obvious synergies between that and the franchises that are in the Arctos portfolio. And secondly, you rattled off a, a bunch of the backers in, 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 uh, in Elevate already. This is just another touch point to be in a re- business relationship with Josh Harris, right? Who owns a number of assets across all sports with David Blitzer, who also, I, I believe, as we've talked on the podcast, potentially on the verge of being the first person to be invested in all five major U.S. sports leagues. The 49ers are invested here. Oakview Group, which does a ton of sports stuff around the, uh, uh, around the country. There's a, just an opening of a deeper relationship here between Arctos and a lot of really, really wealthy and, and really prominent sports ecosystems just in Elevate alone. And that seems like it's a valuable relationship for Arctos to have moving forward. All right, he is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you to producer Matt Whitehurst and our social media editor, Cora Veltman, who loves when I remind you that the show is at Sportacast, which was which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.